0: Women play such an incredible role in the Bible, and yet in the Bible, they are almost always relegated to um, a secondary status. And yet they're the ones who always end up having the first, most profound encounters with God because they're doing things that men aren't doing. Men go to the mountaintop. I heard this this week. Uh, Bethany shared it with me and, and Laura. Um, men go to the mountaintop to meet God, but where do women meet God? At the well, at the tomb, preparing the bodies of the dead. You know, it's that's where the women meet God. And in a way, their experiences with God are way more intimate and more personal, like the women that Marissa just talked about. And the men who meet God on the mountaintop, they have to be hidden in the cleft of a of a rock, and 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 uh, protected from their own uh, sort of determination to face God down, eye to eye. You know. So keep that in mind as we move forward. As we approach Mother's Day, it seems appropriate that we celebrate women, and that's what we're going to do in the message today. And from now on till Mother's Day and we're gonna meet some women who are part of Jesus's story. And I think it's gonna be a real blessing to you. Now, I'm not going to read chapter 38 to you because I wanna just sort of paraphrase or, or summarize the story, but I want you to have it open. I want you to read it, okay? And you gotta promise me you're gonna do that because it's important. But I will give you this overview of the story so that you can meet Tamar a very interesting woman from the Bible. So we're not going to forget that Easter happened, and we're not going to forget as we move toward Pentecost uh, and celebrate that incredible glorious day. But because Mother's Day is coming up, I want to talk about women. And I really think you're going to benefit from this, whether you're male or female. And the first woman that we meet is a very unlikely ancestor. She's a Uh, Ancestor of Jesus. She's a Canaanite who married into an Israelite family. Not once, not twice, but three times she got married into this family. And she wasn't even part of the covenant with Abraham that her husbands were supposed to observe. Now, the first person that we need to get to know in order to understand Tamar's story is Judah. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob and he was an ambitious fella. In fact, you could say he's proof that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, you might remember her his, uh, Judah's father was Jacob and Jacob is the one who tricked his father Isaac into giving him his brother's birthright. Esau was the firstborn and yet, Through trickery, Jacob got Esau's birthright from his father Isaac, whose father was Abraham. And then old Jacob went through all sort of shenanigans in order that he could obtain Rachel, the wife that he desired. And because his father-in-law was a bit of a trickster too, he and Jacob went round and round until Jacob ended up with two wives, Leah and Rachel, and 12 sons. 10 by Leah, and 2 by Rachel. Now, Judah was a middle son. He was a fourthborn, you know, so he's, he's a middle child. And uh, yet he tended to emerge as one who really went to a great lengths to get what he wants. He, he really worked hard to get what he wants. Judah was the ringleader in that whole episode where... He, uh, they, the brothers faked the death of their brother Joseph, who was dad's favorite. Jacob loved Joseph, who was the firstborn son between Jacob and Rachel. And it was Judah who was the ringleader that arranged for his death to be faked and arranged for Joseph to be sold into slavery in Egypt. And then it was Judah later who's standing before Joseph without knowing that it was Joseph. Did all the negotiating in order to save his father's household from the famine. And Joseph really, you know, had every right to be pretty uptight with Jacob, or with Judah rather, and yet that whole story played out in a unique and remarkable way that is a type of the story of the deliverance of of the people of Israel and the people of Jesus. And so we'll have to visit that some other time. Uh, Eventually, Judah took his family and his property and settled in the land of Canaan, or Kena'an. And while he was there, he developed a whole network of business relationships and social networking uh, in those days that wasn't anything like it is now. And through all of those alliances and relationships, um, he decided that intermarriage was probably okay, even though it was a violation of the covenant with Abraham, and so he did. Now, Canaan is a word that doesn't really describe a region so much as a people group from that region that made up all different tribes and religions and ideologies. And the thing to keep in mind was is that because Judah was a son of the covenant with Abraham, he was allowed to interact with those people, but he wasn't supposed to marry with those people, but he did. He was particularly fond of the tribe of the Adulamites. And so through his best friend's uh, Hera's, uh relationship, uh, he Judah ends up marrying a Canaanite woman and seems perfectly okay to him. And it makes sense because of the strategic and uh, business benefits of such a marriage. And so Judah proceeded to carry that legacy on through his family, and that's why his eldest son, Ur, was also pledged, uh, had a Canaanite woman pledged to him, and this woman's name was Tamar. Now, when Judah uh, made this arrangement, it would have been between himself and Tamar's father, and the son and the daughter were really not part of the negotiation process. They were an arranged marriage. And so it was a business transaction. And and women in those days were were more uh, of a commodity than they were human beings in, in the sense that they were thought of as equals with the men. And so Judah's plan was for uh, Tamar to marry uh, her, his son Ur, and she and Ur would start a family and build a strong alliance between their tribes and a very beneficial business and family interaction, except for one thing. Judah was an apple who didn't fall far from the tree, and it turns out that Judah's sons were also apples who didn't fall far from the tree. But if you've ever walked during uh, the fall under an apple tree. You know that some of those apples lay there and rot and stink. And apparently, that's what the problem with Ur was. <laughs> we don't even know what was wrong with Ur. We don't know what God had against Ur. All we know from the scripture is that Ur was evil in the sight of God, and God smote him. You know, smoting. I smiting in the Bible is such a great King James version word. You know, God smote him, or he smites those that he doesn't like. And, and, and all that means is Ur was there, and then Ur was gone. And this left, of course, Tamar with no husband and no children. Well, there's this thing called Leverite or Leveret marriage that is part of of ancient cultures, and it was adopted by the, the people of, of the covenant of Abraham as well. And in a Leveret marriage, the requirement is, is that if the husband dies, then the next eldest son must marry his widow and produce children with her. And the idea was, is that after she became pregnant and had children, she would have sons, hopefully, because they were more desirable, but they would be the sons of the dead husband. So in other words, after Ur died, Tamar was married to Onan, the next son in line, and she was to have children with him, and they would be the sons of Ur, not Onan. And then that way, all of the uh, rights and privileges and inheritance that would have gone to Ur will go to Tamar's sons with Onan. And you know what? Judah didn't like the idea that his younger brother Joseph was probably going to get more favoritism from dad, so he got rid of Joseph. And now Judah's son Onan, doesn't like the idea that he's going to have babies with Tamar, Er's wife, and that those children are going to get all the inheritance. So Onan says, fine, I'll enjoy the physical relationship with Tamar, but I'll be danged if I'm going to let her have any children, and I'll just let you use your imagination on that one. Read the story. He doesn't uphold his obligation to give her children so that she is cared for by her sons and her family, that she is now a part of because once she was traded by her dad to Judah, she no longer has a family in her dad's household. And so she's lost without a husband in this case, or at least her father-in-law's support. So Onan doesn't want to do his duty. And therefore, he is as stinky and rotten as Ur in his own way, and just as devious as Judah and Jacob were. And in this He ended up being punished so that God smote him as well. And now Tamar has outlived two husbands. Now she has become a little bit frightening to her father-in-law. It's starting to look like she's bad luck, you know. And uh, so he says, look, you know, I've got another son, but he's not old enough for you to marry, uh, marry. His name's Sheila." And Shayla is a, uh, uh, you know, going to be your husband, but until he's old enough, you're just going to have to sit sit this one out. And so so Judah sent Tamar back to her father's house to live as a widow. And what this really meant was, as long as Shayla was pledged to marry uh, Tamar, then Tamar's family would probably have taken care of her and said, okay, you know, we get it. Um, you're just kind of riding out this, this period with us. She's hunkering down during the uh, quarantine with her family because she can't marry Shayla until, he, you know, he's old enough. And so they probably helped her out for the most part. But ne- nevertheless, she's a widow. She's walking around. She's childless. She has no husband. And she doesn't officially belong to her family anymore, not to her family of origin. So... Tamara doesn't have a whole lot of control over her life. Tamara is a woman, which put her at a disadvantage in that society. And she is a widow, which put her at further disadvantage. And she is no longer considered part of her father's household. And she is being distanced by her father-in-law's household. And she's hanging on to a promise that she will marry Judah's next son. So, without rights, without property, without sons, Tamar's in a really, she's in a really difficult position. Now, one day, she is aware, becomes aware that Uh, Judah's wife has died. And she's also become aware that Shayla is old enough to marry and nobody's come to get her. Well, if Tamar knew, so did everybody else in her community. And the fact that Judah didn't want her, didn't want her for Shayla made it clear to the people in her family that she was cursed. They, they just viewed her as a cursed woman, which meant that she was in a moment where she was backed up against the wall and in desperate straits. And so when she heard about this, she understood that she had to do something or she wasn't going to survive. And since she doesn't have much power or authority over anything, and she doesn't have any possessions really, what could she do? Well, so she heard that Judah had made himself a comfortable life. And he was sort of retired and has outlived his wife. And uh, so what does he do? Something men have always done. When they want to get away from it all, they go out into the woods. And this is exactly what Judah did. He got his best friend, Hira, and they went out into the wilderness to tend the sheep. And so he went out on this long get away from the home where he has grief and loss and sorrow and get away from his troubles and the things that stress him. And so leaving behind all his responsibilities, he goes out into the wilderness. Meanwhile, Tamar is lingering and suffering because of her abandonment and she has to take action and she has to take action now. So what does Tamar do? The one thing she can do, she takes off her widow's clothing and she puts on a very sexy dress and a veil and she goes to the border gate of the wilderness in the town that Judah and his friend would have passed through to go into the wilderness and she camps out. Now women who park themselves at the town gate are generally perceived as professional uh, prostitutes. And so she hasn't said it in so many words, but she is dressed in a nice sexy red dress with a nice veil, and she's sitting at the gates, and she's thinking, you know, when he comes in from the wilderness, uh, when the cowboys come home from the cattle drive, there's just a certain thing that they've always wanted. They're going to want to do some drinking, and they're going to want to hang out with some women. And so she sits there at the gate, and Judah comes, and he sees her, and he says, wow, You look great, especially after I've been out here in the wilderness. And of course, you know, what older man doesn't get a little bit excited when a sexy-looking younger woman gives him some special attention? And so he falls for her ruse. And this is what he does. He says, how much will it cost for me to spend the night with you? And a price is negotiated, and the only problem is he's not carrying any cash. He doesn't have anything. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll send Hera to get you a goat. I'll send him to go get my cash or my go collect my wallet. And uh, in the meantime, you and I can go ahead and do this. And she says, that's fine, but I'm not stupid. He may not come back with my payment. So here's what I expect. I expect you to give me your signet ring and your staff. And this is eventually essentially his credit card and his ID card. So his driver's license and his credit card have been exchanged for an evening with A woman he doesn't know is his daughter-in-law. And they have a wonderful time, I guess, because he goes away satisfied. And she ends up with his seed in her womb and his credit card and his driver's license in her pocket. Now, later on, when word gets back to Judah... That Tamar is pregnant, it's like all of a sudden he remembers he has a daughter-in-law. He's completely forgotten her, but you know how it is, you know, there's people in every community, there are people in every church who like to stir the pot and they like to push people's buttons and they like to they like to find that person that if they get that piece of news is going to react colorfully and then they sort of sit back and chuckle at what they've done. Somebody got a hold of Judah and said, did you know that your daughter-in-law is pregnant? And of course Judah says, Oh yeah, I have a daughter-in-law. I forgot all about her. So what does Judah do? He says, well, that's not right. You know, that's not right. That's wrong, poor character, immoral, bad behavior. And by golly, she's going to suffer the consequences. Not only her, but the person who fathered that child with her. And so he picks the most dangerous consequence out there, which is something that didn't happen very often, and says, well, they should be burned. So Judah's hopping mad about this. And so she's confronted by Judah and the others. And here's what she says. I will reveal to you who the father is, and then you can do whatever you think is best. Judah says, fine, who's the father? And she said, well, it's the guy to whom this signet ring and this staff belong. Or in other words, here's his driver's license and here's his credit card. And Judah sees his name and realizes what has happened and he realizes he is the father of her child now at that moment he probably could have gotten away with having her killed and put away but in a moment of I guess you could say remembering the covenant with Abraham that was part of his being he says you know what in this moment she's more righteous than I am In this moment, she has done the only thing she could do to get what she rightly deserves. And I will accept my responsibility. And so he marries Tamar. And they have children together. Tamar seems like one of the characters that would show up on a Jerry Springer or Maury Povich show and... They would bring the DNA results out and say, and the father of the child is, and, and and it all seems like trailer park stories or something like that. And it seems all so, so colorful. But the, fr- the truth is, we've all known people like Tamar. We went to school with them in high school. We've gone to church with them. We've worked with them. We've, we've seen them at Walmart. We've met people in our lives who were like Tamar. They were desperate and had to do whatever they could to survive. And it doesn't make sense to us decent, upstanding people, but in a way, they are people who are cheated out of some of the birthrights and benefits that others have received. It doesn't mean that they necessarily deserve everything that they think they're entitled to, but what it does mean is that if they have been uh, given a covenant of trust if they've been told that they should be cared for by a husband, and then they're not cared for by that husband, then their righteousness may look pretty colorful, but it is a fulfillment of what they must do. If a family says, We have an obligation to you through the blood that we share, and then they don't fulfill that obligation, and this person has to do whatever they can to survive, we might want to give them the benefit of the doubt. In our Western culture today, women have more rights and opportunities than they've ever had before, but it's still complicated for them to thrive in this man's world that we live in. And without loving and supportive relationships, these women are marginalized. In fact, when they have children, they are more often than not the ones who bear that life-changing responsibility forever. And the men can walk away without bearing that responsibility. Now, when that happens, we see these women doing whatever they have to do to survive. And it's probably better for us to give them a break, give them the benefit of the doubt and recognize that these are the widows and orphans that Jesus speaks of. And this is the this is the ministry of caring for the marginalized because they've been marginalized because of a variety of things that are not entirely under their control. It's all too common to see women in these circumstances doing whatever it takes to survive. And it's important that we understand that desperate times will sometimes cause desperate measures. Now, all that being said, before we judge any of these people, we might want to come alongside them and walk with them because if they were not marginalized, they might not have to do what they do. And so we can't yell at them from a distance as they walk the margins and we stand in the safe places. We have to go where they are and meet them in their circumstances. And when we begin begin to care for them the way that they didn't get cared for, then we can say there are better ways to deal with your problem. Too many men are like Judah. They're driven to prosper and obtain the rewards of hard work and ambitious gain. They 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 strive to earn the respect and admiration of other men by gathering signs of success. They they uh, try to find an attractive wife and have beautiful children with lots of stuff, and they accumulate all of the signs of success so that they can look like they've got the 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 they've got the perfect man's life. And their ambition comes with consequences. And sooner or later, those consequences will come knocking at the door. And that's when we need to remember that our Lord cares about the least and the last and the lost. And that men are supposed to protect and care for them. Now, I know that if I preach about women... Some women are going to say that I don't show proper sensitivity. Some men are going to say I'm not showing proper sensitivity. I know that if I talk about men and women, I'm, I'm risking marginalized people who don't think that traditional relationships between men and women are the only thing. I'm going off of what the Bible says, and the Bible says that men are supposed to take care of the people in their homes and in their families, and that women are supposed to help the men to succeed for the benefit of the whole family that's what the Bible says and it works when it happens and when it doesn't happen it's usually because men aren't holding up their responsibility and women are doing whatever they can to survive sometimes it's men doing whatever they can to survive and it's women not holding up their responsibilities but the truth is is if we'll all take care of what we've been called to care for which is exactly what's happening right now during this coronavirus thing We've had our lives limited to just our families and just the things we have influence over. Just the things we have a a responsibility to. I'm here with you right now because it's my responsibility. And I have to uphold that responsibility because if I don't, the system of the Shiloh family breaks down. And in the same way, your family breaks down when you don't do your part. That's the gist of the story. And... There are a variety of other lessons to be learned from this story, but what I'd like to do in conclusion is just point out to you that the Bible has given us this character who is a part of the lineage of Jesus so that we can understand that our salvation comes through people like Tamar and Judah and that God asks us to behave in a righteous way toward the people that are closest to us and outward. And since we have such a problem living righteously 100% of the time through this broken lineage, this cracked bunch that were the ancestors of Jesus, we get the author of our salvation, the propitiation, the delivery vehicle for our perfection in Christ. In the house of God. Matthew chapter 1 says. In verse 3. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah. Whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron. And Hezron the father of Ram. And all the way down to. Mary the mother of Jesus. And we're going to talk about her on Mother's Day. I pray you've been blessed this morning. By the word of God. Let us pray. Thank you Lord for your word. Please burn it upon our hearts. Change our nature. Make us more than we should be under the world's eyes and be all that you want us to be by the power of your spirit within us. Make us righteous in your sight, especially in our homes, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank you all for being with me today. It's been a longer than usual broadcast, but I hope you've been blessed. Uh, We want to keep meeting and gathering in his name, just as the uh, Bible tells us to do and and uh, we don't ever want to grow weary in doing well, and we don't want to stop being everything that God wants us to be. Just a quick reminder before we go that uh, we would uh, very much appreciate you supporting the work of church here. Uh, The Shiloh family carries on. The staff is continuing to work hard, and uh, the building is ready for you. It's ready for you to come back, and we need to keep the lights on and the building clean and the maintenance done we need to we need to be ready when we finally get the opportunity to come back and so please continue to support Shiloh with your worship with tithes and offerings and give all the glory to God if you are here for the first time today please remember that we would like to know you and to bless you and you can with a simple text message of Hey Shiloh to 77977. Become part of our little family of faith just by getting to know me a little better and me, you. For now, I praise God. For your presence today and I ask that you continue to share this after this is over it will be recorded on on uh, Facebook and on YouTube and you can sh- send the link to someone you can encourage someone perhaps you know some women who need some encouragement maybe you know some men who need some encouragement and then take this opportunity to spread the word that Shiloh is here glorifying God teaching and preaching from Scripture And that there's room for you in the family of God at Shiloh. Beloved, I love you and I'll see you again soon. God bless you and goodbye.